Thanks, Ron. Nice colour shirt you're wearing today, brother. Deep purple is the go. They, they tell me it's the bishop's colour, so <laughs> my wife picked it. Let me, let, let's uh, pray as we come to look at the Word of God. Father, open your purposes and your word to our hearts and our minds. And by your spirit, Father, speak into each of our lives about those matters that we need to adjust to conform to your kingdom purposes. Do this work, Father, beyond the word said. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Exiles. Definition from the new dictionary of biblical theology is, I haven't got my glasses, the experience of pain and suffering that results from the knowledge that there is a home to where one belongs, yet for the present one is unable to return there. Or Webster's Dictionary, a state or period of forced absence from one's country or home, to be an exile. We're in, uh, it's our theme for this year in our church is that we are exiles, fit for mission. We're now I've come to the fourth and last of four talks on that theme from the book of 1 Peter, that we are exiles fit for mission. If you were to think of exiles today, probably the most obvious example that comes to mind is, uh, is refugees. People who have been chased out of Syria by warfare, who are living in refugee camps, they're displaced, they're not at home, they're, they're suffering and they want to return home to their country, to their, their place, but they can't. Exile is tragic. <clears throat> Exile is by and large terrible. 2,600 years ago, the Babylonians came <clears throat> and they absolutely smashed Judah and the city of Jerusalem and they took many, many, many Israelites as exiles to Babylon, a thousand kilometres from their home and they lived in Babylon as exiles, the Jewish exiles. Psalm 137 speaks about that time. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered Jerusalem. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captives asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. And they said, sing to us the songs of Zion, but how can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? We're exiles. It's terrible to be in exile, but you know there's nothing new about being in exile. In fact, I think in many ways the history of humanity can be defined as this. There is conquest. There is displacement. There is exile. So eventually there's assimilation. Conquest, displacement, exile, eventually dissimilation. In places of the world where there has been lots of conquest and there is limited assimilation, there's lots of conflict. Think of the Balkans. Lots of conquest. And now you have the various parties, but they're all fighting for the same place that they call home and they all fight with one another over that home because there's been a limitation, a lack of assimilation into one new culture. In 1 Peter, Peter tells us that we Christians are exiles in this world because we've been given a new birth into a living hope, into a new kingdom, God's kingdom. 
We live between the now, the new birth, and the not yet, the kingdom of God in its fullness to come. We're heading home. And Peter's been telling us through this series and through his letter, don't assimilate. You belong to another kingdom. Do not assimilate. Do not give in. In fact, what I want you to do is to stand out, is to shine, is to proactively be different, even when it causes you to suffer. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, how are his disciples to live? He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how good... How can it be made salty again? It's good for and nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You must be salty. Jesus says you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. It's got to shine. Instead, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Nobody does that. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, says Jesus. You have to stand out. You are lighthouses. You are beacons. You are salt. You are savour. You are preservation. You are different. Accept it. Embrace it. It's your role. We are exiles, but we are very different, though, to other exiles, such as the Syrian refugees. Yes, we suffer. Yes, we're not at home and we're heading home, but we're not home yet. Yes, it's hard, but we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have new birth. We can persevere because we're going home. We don't conform. Chapter 4 of 1 Peter, by the time we get to chapter 4, Peter's spelling out the differences, how we are exiles, but we are quite different exiles to the ordinary exile. He tells us the why and the how of being different. Firstly, he tells us that God's exiles, I hope for most, that is most of you, have their priorities sorted out. You have your ducks in a row. It's a great thing when you know what your priorities are. You know when you're confused and you're not sure what to do next? But when you know what to do next, when you know what's important, that's a blessing. Most people in exile are confused. There's a sense of hopelessness and pointlessness. It's an exercise in surviving. They're waiting, but they're not even sure what they're waiting for. They just want to go home. God's exiles, by contrast, are purposeful. They should be living full of hope because of their priorities are sorted. See, Christians, Peter tells us, they're suffering for their faith. But even if you should suffer for what is right in chapter 3, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. You're suffering, but then chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, Arm yourself also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. <clears throat> whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. That's the phrase, same odd phrase. So if I suffer, does that mean I'm not going to sin anymore? I think what Peter's saying is that 
those who have suffered in their body as God's exiles have made a clean break with sin. I have some friends, you may know them, who are converts from Islam, from Islamic countries. They have suffered for that change, for following Jesus, for making that decision. They have had to make a clear break with sin. Their old way of life, their old culture, their old religion was false. They have met Jesus. They say, no, I'm going to make a complete break. I am done with sin. I am done with the old way of life. Because they've come to know Jesus and they've got their priorities sorted. It is better to follow Lord Jesus, my Saviour, than to go back. It is better to suffer for my faith than to go back. It is easier in lots and lots and lots of ways to go back. But it's better to suffer for Jesus, just like Jesus suffered. I've got my priorities sorted. Verse 2, As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. (coughs) See, if you're living as an exile, it clarifies the issues. It forces the point. Will I live for God's will? Will I be a new creation? Will I suffer as an exile? by living for God's kingdom and his righteousness. There are bigger issues at stake than my comfort. Some of you will have come from backgrounds of ancestor worship. You're going to make a clean break because it's false and it's destructive. Some of you will have come from backgrounds of just pursuing your own desires and falling in with the crowd. But it's false. It leads to no life. It leads to emptiness. Don't blend in. Do not worry, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, says Jesus. God's exiles have their priorities sorted. God's exiles, because they've got their priorities sorted out, they don't assimilate. They don't fold, they don't conform, they don't give in. You see, what happens, the history of the world, conquest, exile, assimilation, when people assimilate, they just say, it's time to give up. We're not going home. We might as well blend in. And it happens. And they become that new culture. God's exiles don't assimilate. We cannot assimilate because Jesus has risen from the dead and we have the victory. And we are going home. We belong to another kingdom now, a kingdom that will stand. Don't assimilate. We don't blend in. Yes, I know it's easier. Yes, I know you just conform. But no, because we've got our priorities sorted, we stand. Because the victory is with us. We're never going to return. Verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. 
living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join with them in their reckless, wild living and they heap abuse on you. But we've been changed. Tell you a story. When I was at uni, I was about 18, 19, 20, I can't remember, but I was a young fella. In fact, I remember this was one of the very first times I went to the bar with my uni work colleagues because I was pretty young when I started uni and legally I couldn't go to the, the bar when they were all my first year colleagues were going off to the bar. So I went to the bar with them, which I was happy to do, and I got a drink and they started a drinking game as engineering students will do. You get, a, you get a schooner of beer. Here's to John. He's true blue. He's a very much drinking person through and through. He's a not so nice person, so they say. Couldn't get to heaven, so he went the other way. Drink it down, 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 down. That's the game. We all sing the song. We go around. It came to me and I refused to participate. Now, maybe I shouldn't have been there as a Christian. I certainly didn't want to scull a beer. But the thing that really got up my gore was, you're not telling me I'm not going to heaven and I'm going the other way. You're not singing a song about me about that. So I refused. And I'm, I'm far from a righteous person. I certainly was as a 19, 20-year-old. But they all heaped abuse on me. How dare you not participate? How dare you be the wowser who refuses to, to, to join in? It was hard as a 19-year-old. I still remember it. And I'm not saying I was righteous, but I did the right thing then. And maybe I shouldn't have even been there. You can have that debate later. But at least on that issue, I did the right thing. And I copped the abuse for it. And that's such a small example. In Peter's world, the Roman Empire, there was a lot of what we'd call here debauchery, carousing, orgies, drunkenness, Useless idolatry. Don't do it, Peter says. Don't do it. For some, it's the legalism of Islam, all the rules and regulations and fitting into society. Peter says, when you become a follower of Jesus, don't do it. Don't go back. For some of you, it's the ancestor worship or the filial duty of honouring your ancestors. Peter says, don't do it. Don't go back. You've been changed. Will they heap abuse on you? Yeah. Don't do it. For some of you it is carousing and drunkenness. You're in that space where a lot of your friends are in that space. Peter says, do not do it. You cannot do it. You belong to another kingdom. For some of us it's just living in the Western world of individualism and materialism and pursuing as much as we can for myself and making sure I protect myself as the centre of the world. Peter says, don't do it. Stand out. It's not all about you and your comfort and your prosperity. One of the big issues, and I mentioned this last week, and it's always a touchy issue, so I'm always hesitant about talking about it because I'm going to offend somebody, but the whole debate about same-sex marriage and safe schools, there's all sorts of things today that we cannot say. You cannot say that homosexuality is unhealthy or a perversion or bad for people 
there's pressure on all of us to conform, to say, approve me, approve me, approve me, approve me in my lifestyle and behaviour. And it's not about being self-righteous. Please don't hear that. We are sinners. You are a wicked sinner. You are so selfish and proud and greedy, just like me. God hates those things that flow from our hearts. Hear me on that. But these debates are not about self-righteousness. They're about righteousness. You have to take a stand for righteousness, for truth, for holiness. And if you add self-righteousness to that, that just means you've forgotten who you are under the cross. But it doesn't stop righteousness being righteousness and what's good being what's good and God's truth being God's truth. And therefore the call upon us as Christians when it hurts, when we get slandered, to say, I'm going to stand for what is right. Not because I'm better, but because it's right. Because I want what's best for people, for my world, for myself. And you have to face the opposition, realising this kingdom's not my home, that I am actually not going the other way, I'm going to heaven. And so I'll take my stand. How do you do that when you're under such pressure? Because you will be under pressure. Some of you have known it intensely. How do you do that? Well, God's exiles know who is on the throne. They know who will execute justice, who sets the standard. Verse 5 or verse 4, They are surprised that you do not join with them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Who is on the throne? Who are you giving an account to? Our God is on the throne. Jesus is Lord. And he will come with authority one day to judge the living and the dead. It's a weighty, weighty truth. And who will stand on that great day? Those who have been born again, those who are God's chosen people, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his special possession. That is who will stand. And those who revile us, <coughs> whether they be political powers or neighbours or work colleagues or friends, they will have to give an account before Jesus. See, when pressure comes, we need to be strong and we need to shine for truth, for God, because our God reigns. And you know, many have shined under intense pressure and they are still shining today when incredible pressure that we and I do not face comes upon people and their lives are at threat. So many people in the history of the church have said, I will stand with Jesus because my God reigns and my future is sure. And many of them have lost their life because of that stand, but they haven't lost their life. In fact, they live on. Our God is on the throne and we are the victors. And vindication will be with us and it will come. But that doesn't leave any place for smugness or gloating. The fact that Judgment Day is coming, the fact that there will be vindication, should actually well within us the great sense of compassion. Because judgment is coming. 
on those who revile God and revile his people. Judgment is coming. People need to hear about Jesus to avoid the coming wrath. Therefore, God's exiles hold out the word of life. They tell people the gospel. Verse 6. I'm read from verse 5. They will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Now that's a bit of a tricky verse, a few complex statements. To unpack it, death is the last enemy in the scriptures. It is the wages of sin. It is the punishment for our sin. Jesus, the Messiah, defeated death. If you go back to chapter 3, verse 18, listen to the language. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. You hear that phrase, death in the body, alive in the spirit? Those who come to Jesus in faith and trust him, well, the same language, the same thing applies. Verse 6, For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body in terms of death, but live according to God in regard to the spirit, that as they put their faith in Jesus, so they share in Jesus' death and resurrection. Yes, some of us have died. We have gone to the earthly grave, but we will be made alive in the Spirit. That's why you've got to preach the gospel. So that people can be alive in the Spirit. And just as Jesus rose from the dead, alive in the Spirit, so also we who trust in him shall be joined in his resurrection and be alive in the Spirit. Having after, although having been judged in our bodies. That's what I think verse 6 is saying. And therefore we have to preach the gospel because that's the only way to be made alive in the spirit to come and put your faith in Jesus is to hear about him and what he has done. And therefore we have a responsibility, don't we, us exiles? We have a mission to hold forth the word of life so that people can trust in Jesus and share in his death and resurrection. Will everybody believe? No. Many will revile us and reject their message but some will. And so we hold forth the word of life that there is hope in Jesus. Exiles, God's exiles, preach the good news of the gospel. Ultimately, we do all this. We have our priorities sorted. We don't assimilate. We know who's on the throne. We hold out the word of life because we understand what the time is. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. That's how we live. Judgment day is coming. Jesus might return any moment. And this shapes our lives. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Verses 7 to 11 give us a shape of Christian living. The first thing is pray. The end's almost near. Be alert. Be on the call because you have to pray. We're people of faith. God is on the throne. Jesus has the victory. 
Yes, it's tough. Yes, we're under pressure, but now is not the time to give in or blend in or conform. Now is the time to hold out the word of life and trust in God. And we do that firstly by trusting God in prayer. Lord, you act, you work, because I can't. And it's a hard message, really, because prayer is, you know, if you've ever done any, focused prayer is hard work. But it's our first priority, ministry of prayer. And it's hard work. That's how exiles live, they pray. And, and they pray so that their faith might be shown in action and the greatest expression of Christian faith in action is, you could tell me I hope, but let's read it in verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to love. No one says love's a bad thing, but we, we're too familiar with the idea of shallow love. But I want to feel good about loving you and I want you to make me feel good about loving me. But as soon as I don't feel right in my self-sufficient world, well, the love becomes impossible. That is shallow love. Christian love is deep love. Love each other deeply, which covers over sin. So though I feel you have wronged me and sinned against me, I'm going to love you past and beyond that. I'm going to sacrifice for you and serve you and care for you and overwhelm your sin with my love. And though I have sinned against you, I'm going to love you so well that you won't be able to hold my sin against me because my love is going to overwhelm even my sin. Because love covers over a multitude of sin and it does deep love. Not the I feel good love, but the love that wells from a transformed life in Jesus. Don't we need it? Deep love doesn't count sins against the other. I was watching a trailer for the show Doctor Doctor this week. I've never watched the show, so I don't really know the plot line, but I'm getting the impression that the girl with the fuzzy hair has had a relationship with the doctor, who's a bit of a bad guy, and somehow there's been a fallout, and then the doctor's maybe gone with some other girl, and then the doctor comes back to fuzzy hair girl, and she says to him, she's really cranky, she says to him, don't come back to me, I'm not the forgiving kind. And I get it. That's a good line. And I want to use that line. It's a good line. Don't come back to me. I'm not the forgiving kind. Because I've been wronged and you don't think you can just waltz back here. I get that. But that is not a line for exiles. God's exiles. We are the forgiving kind. We're not the foolish kind. We love costly in a costly manner, but we are the forgiving kind. And we don't put my hurt first. We put the other first and their good first, even when we've been wronged. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Love shares. Verse 9. Two ways this is mentioned. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Oh, so-and-so's got to come around today. Oh, I haven't really got time for this. You know, grumble, grumble, grumble. Hospitality is not even just having people around for a dinner. Hospitality, I think, we need to think of it more as an openness of life. That you are welcome in my life with myself 
with the whole of my being. We, we in our Western world, we've become so individualistic. There's all this talk about boundaries, right? You've got to draw up your boundaries. Now, I understand boundaries. I understand you can't just let people wander all over you, but in our Western world as I've seen it, we're so busy building boundaries, protecting our little world, I don't see the scriptures. The boundaries in the scriptures are way out here. Way out here. You come and stomp all over my life because you're part of me and I'm part of you and I'm open and I'm hospitable. I'd love to hear some stories from Beth about hospitability. I reckon we've got nothing on hospitability of what she's experienced in Central Asia. When I was in Mongolia, man, people just walked in and out of other places all the time. They were in each other's lives constantly. And we in our Western world have put the little boundaries here and we, we, we make it a righteous thing to set up our boundaries. Maybe it's just a plain selfish thing because we're not hospitable because love is hospitable and love opens up my life for your good. It's a challenge. If any, uh, Verse 10, Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. <clears throat> All through the scriptures, through the New Testament, use your gifts to build the church up. So often we want our gifts to be our gifts to build ourselves up. Look at how good I am at... <clears throat> what am I good at? The... Oh, I'm good at... The... Your gifts are not for yourself. The gifts are used for other people. And you know what? If you're opening your life up, and doing what you do, you'll do what you do well and you will serve other people without necessarily even being aware of it at times. Without needing to say to yourself, I'm good at hosting dinner parties. No, you'll just be hosting dinner parties because that's what you love to do. And they'll be great. Use your gifts to build others up. This is the shape of exilic living. And everything's united. I love these next two verses. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Word and deed. Word and deed. Word and deed. Oh, I'm really good at words. That's why I'm a preacher, but I don't do much. Oh, no, I just do things. I don't say much. What a lot of nonsense. Word and deed united. If you're going to speak, you speak as if you're speaking the very words of God. All day, every day. If you're going to serve someone, if you're going to do something at work, if you're going to do a horrible job or a good job or an exciting job, do it as one who's serving God. Because your word and deed is united. And why? So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. All for the God's glory. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Whatever you do, whether you eat and drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, the whole of life, the whole of your time in exile. All for the glory of God. Exiles, you're fit for mission, fit to bring glory and praise to Jesus as you live out what God has made you to be. It's such a simple theme, this series. Be holy, be righteous. Stand out. There is a lighthouse on a rugged shore. 
You see it from the distance. This is Byron Bay. It stands there. It doesn't quite fit in. You've got all this rugged shore on the sea and you've got this little white stick. You could say it's an exile, that lighthouse. But it has a vital mission. It's to shine the light of life, to warn of the coming danger. It must shine. If that lighthouse stops shining, it's just a piece of skinny architecture. It's a stairway going nowhere. It must shine. We are the light of the world, us exiles. We don't quite fit. God has placed us here for a purpose. As exiles, his exiles fit for his mission and our mission is to shine. It's to stand out so that people may see and they may be warned of the coming danger and they may see our lives, not even necessarily hear our words or our rebuke, but just see our lives and say there's a better way. God's way is a better way and it's worth the cost. It's worth turning around my boat. Our job is to shine all for the glory of God as we embrace who we are in Jesus. A lighthouse on a barren shore. So let your light shine so that your friends and family and neighbours may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, give us strength to shine. Give us strength to stand out. Give us wisdom. Give us compassionate, humble hearts, we pray, as we hold out the word of life. Lord, reveal to us individually. There's so many ways this could be applied. We pray that you'd, I pray that you'd speak to hearts here and prompt something in every heart that they need, where they need to take a stand and shine and be your exile, fit for your mission. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.